Well, good morning. morning. It's the week after Easter. We've got quite a bit to talk about this morning together. If you're in Kidmo, you can head on out and uh, you'll hear some birds. We apparently had some birds uh, hatched this week. So we'll try to, I don't know, I hope it's soothing. I don't know that it is for you today, but we'll try to get that taken. We'll try to get those relocated (laughs) next week. But... um, So what I want to do is finish our symbol series, and I want us to pick up at the at the risen Savior. What happens next? Where do they go next? So far, we've been through a number of symbols. All have been intended to point us to the place where God wants us to recognize He's coming for us. He loves us. He's been working throughout history since the Garden of Eden. He has been working to restore us to a place in which he had created us. And that built to the climax that we celebrated all over the world last year uh, with the cross and the empty tomb. Jesus is risen. He has come out of the tomb. He is our Savior. We can trust in him, and we can follow him. This last symbol that I want to share with you is one that is often misused, misunderstood, but it is a symbol of our faith that people continue to use today. But I want us to begin not talking about the symbol. I want us to begin thinking about what if all this is true. I'm convinced that a lot of people in their faith think some things are true, but what if it is all true? What if Jesus did die? He really did die. What if he did come out of the tomb? He really came out of the tomb. And when we are so accustomed to the concept that Jesus came out of the tomb, that we sometimes don't even think about how significant that was. You know, if you were, if you were at a graveside service and somebody got out of a coffin, you would remember it would change your life, wouldn't it? It would change your life. If you were in the city and you saw that there was a graveyard at the edge of the city and all of a sudden the people that you knew had already died, got out and walked into the city, you would be changed, right? It would be like, whoa, what's, something's happening. <laughs> Something is happening here. What if all of that is true? What if everything that Jesus said was true? Everything that he said was going to happen actually is going to happen. So this is one of the things that we have to come to grips with when we begin to understand faith and what it means to follow Jesus is do we believe that every promise Jesus made is true, every warning that Jesus gave us is true, every call and how we're supposed to live our life is true, it's going to happen, but do we live as if it was true? I I thought this video was just powerful, seeing from the perspective of Peter coming and seeing that Jesus is out of the tomb can imagine his fear as he's sitting there thinking, what is Jesus going to say? He said, I was going to deny him, and I did. And yet he was so compelled to find Jesus that he had to go. Oh, I could just imagine what that would have been like. If everything that Jesus said was true, what does that mean for us today as we're trying to follow him? Now, if you think about that, If I I simply say, you know, if everything is true, then what are the things that come to your mind that Jesus said that you believe to be true? Just say some things. If everything is true, then what's true? Somebody. He's coming again. He's making a place for us right now. What else? 
He is risen. What else? He's interceding on our behalf. We have the Holy Spirit. Yes. What else? Always with us. No matter what. Right now, He's with us. And He's really with us because He said we're two or more gathered in His name. There He was. But, you know, literally, that's always the case, isn't it? If the Holy Spirit's with us, He's always with us. There's literally two people together seeking seeking God. What else? How about there is a judgment coming? It is, it is coming. What about the reality that there are going to be those who are going to church and they're doing, you know, good religious things and they're going to stand before Jesus and Jesus is going to say, I, I don't know you. You don't know me. You have no part with me. Then that is going to happen. What about that this heaven and this earth is going to be completely done away with? Gone. Completely gone. And a whole new heaven and earth is coming. That is going to happen. Now, what does that look like? I don't know what that looks like. And there are people that spend a lot of time trying to figure out what that looks like. I choose to spend my time on other things. I will see it when it happens. You ever have those experiences? I don't know. I'm just going to, whenever it gets here, I'll see it then. And I'll know then. But right now, I I don't have the bandwidth to figure that out. I want you to imagine, what if all this is true? I want us to look at, at Mark chapter 8. We're going, to spend a, we're going to spend some time in Mark chapter 8 this morning. And I want us to go through it. You're familiar with it. But I want us to spend time because it leads us to a place where this next symbol comes into play. Mark chapter 8. We're going to begin with verse 31. And this is what he is, he is preparing his disciples. And this is what he says to them. He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes. And be killed, and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. I mean, who wouldn't? What are you talking about? Stop. We don't want this to happen. This is not a good thing for you. This is not good. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Now, I want to, I want to start here because we have to enter into this conversation that we're having based on the reality that we can have a way of thinking in the way that God thinks or the way that people think. I'm really good at the way people think, right? At least the way that Mark Love thinks. <laughs> I'm really good at the way Mark Love thinks. So, you know, a lot of you who know how I think would never want to think the way Mark Love thinks, and I don't blame you one bit. But there's a way of understanding things according to the way of God, and there's a way of understanding things according to us and the world and our culture and our society. There's two different ways of seeing it. Peter, in this place and in this time, is seeing it all from the perspective of his experience of the world and life so far. We need a leader. You are the one bringing this to us. You're the one doing the amazing things, not us. We need you. You are required for this. And Jesus, and I cannot, can only imagine that it's a, a loving rebuke because he loved Peter, but yet said, get behind me, Satan. I'm sure it didn't feel very loving, but I can only imagine that Jesus would have been in some way setting your mind on the things of God. So where do we go from Easter forward? This is it. It is setting our minds on the things of God. 
Now, depending on where you live and the people that you do life with, people will encourage that in you or they will discourage that in you. In fact, many will even make fun of you if you even attempt this. That you're going to try to set your mind on the things of God because God's not real and the things of God are weird and they're out there and you don't even have to worry about that. But if you commit to live your life in this way, that you're going to set your mind on the things of God, then you are going to have to live a life that's different than the way everybody else does. And it is not always going to be comfortable. But it is always going to be the best life you can have. If we go on to verse 34, he goes on and he says, calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Verse 35, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Verse 36, for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Verse 37, for what can a man give in return for his soul? Verse 38, for whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him will the son of man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his father with the holy angels. And he said to them, truly, I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. I'll tell you at this stage of my life and my faith, I'm consumed with that verse one in chapter nine, that the kingdom is coming in power. And some of you aren't going to taste death until then, which means it has already happened for us, right? The kingdom is here. It has already come in power. If I were to ask people to raise their hands, how many of you today feel that the kingdom is here and that you're living your life through the power of God? Some of you would raise it as a matter of agreeing. It should be that way. But when it comes to, do you feel that you are empowered by God on a daily basis? Most of us would probably say, I don't know. I don't even know what that means. I don't even know what that looks like. Does that mean we're, we're raising people from the dead? Does that mean we're healing people? What, what does it look like to live in that power? And yeah, I believe that what Jesus is saying is that the kingdom is here and that kingdom has come in power. Are we experiencing that? This is something we'll talk about another time. This is not where we're going to focus our time today. If you're in a small group, you're going to focus some time talking about that in your small group. We're not going to spend a lot of time here. But according to, to verse 31... When we look at this, excuse me, not verse 31, my notes are wrong. According to verse 34, if you're going to come after, which literally the word come at words come after is the exact same word that comes later in in that same verse that says, follow me. It's the come after and follow are the same word. He means the same thing. They're just splitting. The translators are saying, you know, it feels weird to say follow twice in the same sentence. But if we were, it would simply say this. If anyone would follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. (laughs) Kind of reiterating his point. So according to Mark 8, 34, if you're going to come after or follow Jesus, there are three things you have to do, right? Just based on this one verse alone. The first one is easy, right? Deny yourself. I mean, it's not easy to do. It's easy to pull it out of the verse. The second one is to take up your cross. And really, it's just those two, because he's saying, if you want to follow me, I mean, it's redundant to say, if you want to follow me, follow me. But that is what he's saying. But those two things are indicating what it looks like to follow him. Deny yourself and take up your cross. Now, you know those verses. You, you've read these before. You've heard them. 
But it's important that we understand what they mean and what do they look like for us today. And we also have to look at the rest of the context of what Jesus is saying here. Because it's significant that in the next four verses, he begins each of those verses with the word for. And as we've talked about before, if you ever read a verse in scripture that says for or therefore, that you need to figure out why it's there. As a pastor, when I was growing up, used to say, if you see the word therefore, you need to find out, you know, what it is there for. <laughs> because he's trying to say something. He's trying to make a point. And in this passage, he says, not just deny yourself, take up your cross and follow Jesus. Then he backs it up with four, <laughs> four statements. So for what purpose is it that we are supposed to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. And the first one he says in verse 35 is, you can only save your life by losing it. Well, that's a good conversation starter for somebody you don't know. You know, uh, I've heard that you can only save your life by losing it. And you feel like you're all of a sudden supposed to know what the secret handshake response is to get into the club, right? That's what? What does this mean? Save your life by losing it. But that's what he says. You got to deny yourself and take up your cross because for you can only save your life if you lose it. He goes on in verse 36. You'll lose your soul if you try to gain the world, which is a problem for us because we want to gain the world, don't we? I do. I want to gain the world. I look around. I want to live well. I want to have nice stuff. I want to have a comfortable life. I want to retire early. I I want all those things, just like everybody else does. I want to gain what everybody else wants. It's just hardwired into us. This is how we're built. And yet, what he's saying is, to deny yourself and take up your cross, you have to do that because you'll lose your soul if you try to gain the world. There's, There's no way of doing both. You can't gain the world and save your soul. Verse 37, we see the third four statement, and it says, There's no other way to save your soul than following Jesus. Which is interesting that he doesn't say pray a prayer. <laughs> There's a possibility that we have presented the gospel in a way that has not taken the rest of the New Testament into account when we boil it down to saying a prayer or attending church or reading your Bible. All crucial things. But that's not really what Jesus means when he says, follow me. He's talking about something deeper, something harder, something more overall encompassing within our lives. There's no other way to save your soul than following Jesus. And if we go back and we look at verse 34 again, then that means there's no other way to save your soul than denying yourself, taking up your cross and following him. Do you see how this becomes important? What Jesus is going on to explain here? It's the only way to save your soul. This is the only way to do it. And so if that's the only way to do it, it makes sense that we need to figure out what it means to pick up our cross and to deny ourselves. Because I don't know about you, I have no desire to be nailed to a cross anytime soon. So how am I to understand this? You can't even do that in our context legally. So how do we understand that for us today? And then he goes on, if we don't take him seriously now, then Jesus is not going to take us seriously in the final judgment. Now, this is uncomfortable whenever we want to preach a gospel of love because that doesn't feel very loving, right? Hey, I want you to know I love you. 
and Jesus is going to send you to hell. (laughs) So don't say it that way, all right? Because that's not helpful. But doesn't it feel like every time you read a verse in Scripture about final judgment, doesn't it feel like that's what we're saying? Jesus loves you, and you better love him back. No, I mean, like you better. <laughs> love, like, it's not going to go well for you if you don't. But yet, if we look at all of Scripture, that is not what Jesus is saying. There is a final judgment. But we are in this uncomfortable place, in this uncomfortable time when there are so many people who say, yeah, I'm a Christian, and yet there is nothing in their life that demonstrates it. And Jesus says in many places, take me seriously or you don't know me. He doesn't say be perfect. He doesn't say never mess up. He doesn't say that you've got to show up at the temple every single day. He doesn't say any of that stuff, but he does say you've got to take me seriously. Because what we're talking about is a complete change in the way we view the world, the way we view each other, and the way we view ourselves. There's no other way to save your soul rather than following Jesus, which means there's no other way to save your soul rather than picking up our cross and following him, denying ourselves. And if we don't take him seriously, Jesus isn't going to take us seriously. So that means we should probably go back and understand, well, then what does he mean by these three things that we've got to deny ourselves, pick up our cross, and follow him? But in order to do that, we really have to kind of do them out of order, so... Let's start with the second one. Take up your cross. What does it mean to take up your cross? You know, in our context, capital punishment doesn't happen in a way that we can pick it up and carry it with us, right? I'm going to carry around a bunch of chemicals with me. And I'm going to prove that I love Jesus because I could, if I ingest these chemicals, die at any moment. (laughs) We have sometimes people that will, you know, build a cross, put it on their shoulder, and they'll walk around. And I think that's great. I don't know it. It may be effective. I don't know. But even that's not what Jesus is talking about. So what does it look like to take up your cross? As we look at what the purpose of the cross was, the purpose of the cross was for the world to silence people that they did not want to be heard. Either your actions had put you here, your words had put you here, but the purpose of the cross was so that you would be silenced. It's the world's attempt to bring you into alignment with them. So taking up your cross means that we've got to pay the penalty for standing with Christ against the world, which is hard when we're also told to love the world, but not love the world in a way that we're trying to gain the world. We love the world in a way that we're trying to show them the love of Jesus. cross was also the image and picture of pure suffering and shame. And it was a way to control others. If I didn't like your message, I put you on a cross. You suffered and had so much shame that anyone tempted to follow your example would stop. (laughs) That is not a preferable future. The things that they were espousing got them into a bad place. I don't want to get into that bad place. Jesus says, you have to be in alignment with my suffering. You've got to suffer with me. And ultimately, the cross was meant to remove us from the equation altogether so that we've got to be willing to die. So why in the world would anyone want to be a Christian? Why would anyone ever want to come to a church? Why would anyone ever believe that we're about love when we're talking about carrying crosses and denying ourselves and being willing to die? Why in the world would anyone Choose to do that. And 
If you don't spend some significant time within your faith in your life trying to answer that question, I will tell you, you, your faith will never make sense to you. Faith will never make sense to you. Why would anybody want to do this? Take up your cross. Second thing is deny yourself. So what does it look like to deny yourself? Literally means to take up your cross. Who is going to choose to be silenced? Who is going to choose to have their life ended? Who is going to choose suffering and shame? Who is going to choose this way and this path? Nobody's going to choose it. Not, not if you're just after your own goals, your own personal desires in life. Denying yourself means I choose to take up the cross. Denying yourselves means I will fight the natural urge for self-preservation in this corrupted world. And remember when we talked about Athanasius, that we were made to be incorruptible in an in, uncorrupted um, environment, and yet sin changed that. Now all is corrupted. We are corrupted. The creation is corrupted. God's been working all that time to restore us to a place that we are no longer corrupted. We are restored to incorruptibility. I will fight the natural urge for self-preservation in a corrupted world. I will choose to be united with Jesus instead of myself or the world or anyone else, which is, is crucial as well. Who am I most wanting to be identified with? Romans 6, 3 through 5, it says, Do you know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall be certainly united with him in a resurrection like his. I return to my question. Why would anyone choose to follow Jesus if this is what it looked like? It's one of the reasons that when life gets hard, people do stop following Jesus. Because they didn't understand this. And then things start to look like this. And it's like, I'm out. I'm done. I mean, it amazes me what causes people to be done with Jesus. You know, that's just, I'm kind of tired and just want to do my own thing and I just don't really want to go to church or... It's, it's, it's amazing what we'll do to walk away. So why in the world would anybody choose this? Augustine talked about this self-denial problem that we have. He says, if you love your soul... There is a danger of it being destroyed. Oh, thanks, Augustine. (laughs) Therefore, you may not love it since you do not want it to be destroyed. But in not wanting it to be destroyed, you love it. It's like, oh, why don't you chew on on that at lunch today, by the way? It'd be good to bring. It's on your YouVersion notes. Just bring it up around the table and say, what does this mean? And then let everyone look confused at each other. If you love your soul... There's a danger of it being destroyed. So you better not love it or your soul is going to get destroyed. But if you're trying to preserve your soul, then that means you do love it. So you actually are loving your soul by trying not to get it destroyed. And, and it goes round and round and round again. And what Jesus is literally saying is, is you have to change the way you think about the world and about yourself. Because if you just embrace yourself then you're going to see your soul destroyed. But if you embrace something else, your soul will live a life beyond comprehension. But it's hard for us to understand. And when I read through scriptures, and scripture says things like, you know, 
our, our hearts have been on evil continually, as he talked about um, just before the flood. When he says, my ways are higher than your ways, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts, I think, I, they have to be. They better be. You know, I think about that, those things, and I think, gosh, I just, I, I'm not sure I can fully grasp all of the stuff that's going on that Jesus is talking about. And I find myself in good comfort because the disciples didn't either. They, were, they couldn't figure it out either. They're like, what are you talking about, Jesus? But I do think we can get to a place where this becomes much more simple. But so far, what does it look like to follow Jesus? We, gotta, we have to pick up our cross, which does mean rejecting the world. It does mean that we're no longer going to pursue the world. And that is a hard conversation. And that is hard for us to figure out what exactly is Jesus telling us to do here that we're supposed to deny. What are we, what are we really supposed to flee here? We're supposed to deny ourselves, and then we're supposed to just... I, I, there is truth to this. If you want to follow me, just follow me. You know, there's, there's some truth to that. I have a family member who likes to lead when we go on vacations. Anybody ever have one of those when you're caravanning? Yeah. I like to lead as well. And I like to get there quicker than this other family member likes to get there. Does everybody else have this problem? Okay. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't, I I wouldn't speed because that's illegal, but you know, that's sin. I wouldn't do that because my, you know, his ways are higher than my ways. So I would just go with his ways on that one. Um, but when I'm in front, he is way behind. I mean, I, I, when I start leading, I look back and he's a mile behind me. And how in the world is he going to follow me if he's a mile behind me? But if I let him get in front of me, he takes off and he's gone. And I can't keep up with him. And it's a frustrating family member. And I, sometimes I'm just like, just get behind me and follow me, right? Okay, do you ever say that to people? You know, just follow me. Sometimes Some of you all are in charge at work and you just want to have like a meeting with all the people you work with and say, listen, let's just get this all straight. Would you all just follow my lead here? That's literally what Jesus is saying. You know, if you want to follow me, just, I mean, really follow me. Really follow me. And we read, James describes it this way in in chapter 1. He says, Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks inherently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away at once, forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. In other words, you know, read about what God has said to us and now go do it. You know, that's, you know, the the shortest sermon that you could possibly get something meaningful out of is just, you know, go do it. <laughs> that really is enough. Just, well, do what? Well, that, you've got a Bible. That's what, go do that. Go do that. And everything else tends to work out along the way. So it is following him. The thing that makes them different than us when we struggle with these questions, and I want you to stay with me because I'm going somewhere with this, is that the disciples took Jesus very seriously. Now, in the beginning, they didn't understand. And even in this exchange, Peter's like, I don't get it. This is not good what you're saying. And, and, and Jesus is like, listen, you've got you to be tracking with me here because you can't, you can't look at this the way you look at things. You've got to look at this the way I look at things. But when they got it, they took it seriously. In Acts chapter 9, 
This is how serious they took it. They had become something else. And, and we read about this in verse 1. This is Saul before he becomes Paul. This is just before he has that experience with Jesus and he's blinded. It says, but Saul still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. So their persecution is in full force. People are being killed because they're following Jesus. There is a real problem in that if I follow Jesus, I may actually have to pick up my cross because they may literally put me on one. Saul is one that's going out and trying to wrap them all up, bring them together. Breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. In other words, he wanted them to give him letters to send out to every church in every corner of the of the land to say, if anyone belongs to this group that is referring to themselves as the way. I need to know about it because we need to deal with them. And then we'll come get them and bring them to Jerusalem, and then we will get rid of them. That's what we will do. And I want you to remember that. So you remember this group called the Way, because that's what they were being referred to as. Christians came later. The word Christians came later. In the beginning, it was the Way. So why would anyone choose... To pick up a cross. And this is. This is where the rubber meets the road for us as believers. We're in a time where the church is is changing. Understanding what the church is is changing. Understanding what faith is is changing. We, We have been to the place where church was about events. And church was about, you know, entertainment and. You know, church was about religious duty. Church was about just believing the right things. And, and it's pretty well falling apart right now. I mean, it's pretty much falling apart. The pieces that haven't fallen apart are, are going to be falling apart very soon. Because many churches, not all, but many churches have focused on a way of following Jesus is not the way Jesus called them. I don't say this as in look at us because we got it all right. Because I, I look at us and I look at me and I think regularly I don't, I don't yet get it. Do you, I don't know if you have that experience. You probably don't feel comfortable coming to a church where the pastor says I don't get it yet. But um, I don't fully get this yet. But we're getting there, right? One of the primary components that I believe that is involved in this is the ability to hear from Jesus. This, this is a, a practice, a discipline that is wholly silent in the church today. The, the actual belief that God actually has something to say to you, has a purpose for you, is going to do something supernatural within you. That power in which the kingdom has come is actually here to be... See, even the birds are getting excited about it. You all aren't, but the birds are. That's why they're here. So I, I can tell, you know, the Holy Spirit's moving because the birds are singing, right? Yeah, that's bad theology. Don't we need to take that out of the? We need to take that out. But um, one of those things, those crucial things for us, is that we actually walk with Jesus. And I don't mean that you have somebody like me standing up here telling you what you need to do with your twenty-four hours in a day. That is not what it looks like. I mean, that's a part of it. But it's only the part that says, "Well, let's look at Scripture and let's talk about what Scripture says." It's not what I say because what I say doesn't matter. 
It's only what, what God says. Because remember, he's the one that looks at things differently. And it's only when we elevate the way we look at things to the way he looks at things that we do see or experience anything differently. But the ability to hear from God is something that is, uh, for the most part, either totally abused in the church. God will tell you that he wants to give you the desires of your heart, which is a complete misunderstanding of what the psalmist is saying. So you just need to claim what you want and God's forced to give it to you. And, and that message is growing like wildfire right now. It is not the true church. But it's growing like wildfire because who doesn't like that message? You don't feel good? Well, God has to heal you. You just got to pray the right way and give a few bucks. You know, that always helps. But truly, why would the disciples pick up their cross and follow him? I believe for us, it should be exactly the same as for them. But let's look at for them and their experience in Acts chapter 4, verse 13. When they saw, okay, let me give you some context. So the context of here is Peter and John. This is right after Pentecost, okay? This is right after the tongues of fire have come and they're speaking in tongues. And, they're, and when they're speaking in tongues, I mean, I, we don't know what all's happening, but we know they're actually speaking in the language of all the visitors that are in the area. They're, they're speaking in foreign languages they haven't studied. This is when they look at them and they're like, how are these dumb Galileans doing all this stuff? You know, they don't know those languages. They're not studied men. And yet they're, you know, the, the Holy Spirit is working through them. He has this amazing sermon that Peter gives. And there's this crippled man. And everyone knows who the crippled man is. And, and, and now Peter actually reaches down and the man gets up and walks. So, so now the power of Jesus is transferred into Peter. And now Peter's, and this is what Jesus said was going to happen. You're going to do all the things that I did. And the people that got rid of Jesus didn't like it. And so they round them all up and they say, you need to stop this. But this is what happened. And, and I've mentioned this before because I just think this is so crucial for us. But I want us to look at this passage. Beginning in Acts 4, verse 13. When they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated common men. They were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. You want to you really put things in perspective in your life? Assess within your own life. Can anyone tell that I've been with Jesus? You want to you, you have a hard day? <laughs> Think on that. They recognize that they had been with Jesus. We should carry some signs that people look at us and go, they have been with Jesus. This is the fruit of... But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition, which, you know, what are you going to say? Like, this was fake. Everybody knows this guy's been crippled his whole life, that you, they just healed him. We are a little at a loss on how to spin this. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, what shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, like, I mean, this is pretty amazing, but we just don't want to see this happening. I mean, just, talk, just the, how ridiculous the, the human mind becomes when we no longer see the world as God does. 
Like, I mean, did you just see, he just literally, he's been crippled as a light. He's healed now, but we got to stop this. Like, we don't want this to happen. You ever get the conspiracy emails, like the cure for cancer has been found and some pharmaceutical group won't release it because, you know, they're making too much money on their drugs. You, you know, you, it's, it's kind of like one of those. It's kind of like, you know, these people literally walk around, touch somebody, pray, and they get up and they walk. Why aren't we just bringing everybody who's sick to them? Oh no, we got to stop this. We got to stop. See, the birds agree with me. I'm glad they're here today. I am glad they're with me today. I feel good. I feel empowered. All right. So they called them, this is verse 18, they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. What in your relationship with God can you not stop talking about because of what you have seen or heard? There's been a good part of my life as a Christian. I would have to say, I don't, I don't know. And this is a part of following Jesus that becomes uncomfortable for us in this day and in this time because following Jesus has become so passive that we have a hard time finding out what have I so experienced with Jesus that other people see it in me and I I got to talk about it because I have so experienced this thing that I can't not tell you about it. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go. So they really didn't get anything they wanted, which is great. Go read the rest of the story. It's, it's a lot of fun. They let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. And if I put this in words for us today, Peter and John could not unsee what they had seen. They couldn't unsee it. They, they saw something amazing, wonderful, incredible, powerful, changed them. It's amazing what all they went through. See, there it is again. There it is. Go ahead. That's all right. The truth is, no matter whether we're talking about Jesus or anything else, once you see, you cannot unsee. I want you to think about the most profound moments you've ever had in your life. Most profound moments of your entire life. The things that you, for, you remember. I mean, you can't forget. What are the things that come up in conversation regularly for you? That you just, you got to talk about. It's so exciting. It's so overwhelming. I mean, you saw it. You can't unsee it. People might even come up and say, yeah, I don't believe that happened. Well, I don't care if you believe it or not, because I saw it. Once you see, you cannot unsee. For these early believers, I mean, they saw things that you and I haven't seen. They saw Jesus. They saw Jesus perform the miracles. They saw the apostles perform the miracles. They saw the people get out of the tombs and walk into the city. They saw Jesus come out of the tomb and appear to people. I mean, they did see some things we ourselves have not seen. We cannot rely on the very same things that they saw But there are many similar things we can't see when we hear from and experience Christ. 
But they were so serious about following the way of Jesus that they began to be called the way, meaning the way of Jesus. I mean, Paul was looking for them to kill them. He had so defined them as a group of people that had organized themselves around the way of Jesus that he, was, he had churches throughout the area looking for this group of people. The persecution began to be so strong that while we don't read about this in Scripture, and so I even hesitated to bring it up, but yet it is so attested to in history, places of history and become more popular in you know, the last few decades is the image of the ichthus. You know it as the image of the Jesus fish. You've seen it. Anybody had this on the back of their car? I have. When, listen, when I started driving, they had cool ichthuses. Um, like they would be edgy looking. So I wasn't content just to have a fish on the back of my car. I needed like a brushed looking, you know, edgy looking one. Like I'm not just a Christian. I'm like the Christian of your worst nightmare. I, that's the kind of Christian I am. <laughs> And you would know that simply from the fish that was affixed to the rear of my old car. (laughs) That man loves Jesus. As I would drive by would commonly be the refrain I would hear, right? Yeah, I was no, of course not. Of course not, Leslie, I wasn't driving too fast. Obeying all speed limits and laws that were, anyways, we're getting off track. So the ichthus literally is a fish and two believers would be on the road or they would be in a city that didn't know one another. And if you wanted to identify yourself as a follower of the way or a follower of Jesus, you would draw half the fish. And if it ended there, they would go, oh, that's interesting. Why did you do that? But if you knew what they were doing, you would draw the other half of the fish and you would complete the image. Now, why is that significant to us today? It's cute. It's a fish. It's like a secret handshake, you know. But it was significant because it was not just a symbol by which they would see each other. The ichthus actually had meaning for them. The word ichthus means fish. It literally, if we look at it as an acrostic or an acronym, or I always get those, what is that? What is that literary tool? Thank you, acronym. I always get those mixed up, and Deidre's not here to correct me. She normally (laughs) corrects me. The I stands for the Greek word for Jesus. CH stands for the Greek word for Christ. The TH stands for the Greek word for God, and in that particular form, uh, possessive, gods. The Y would stand for the Greek word for son, and the S for the Greek word for savior. So literally, the fish symbol for them not only was a way to identify each other, it was a way for them to affirm the identity and the salvation of Christ between them. It's an important symbol. When they're looking for you to kill you if you follow Jesus, and you're not real sure who you're going to tell, this is a way for them to communicate. And it was formed around the idea of Jesus. He was God's son, and he is our savior. Those are the things that drove them. Jesus Christ, son of God, savior, is what the symbol of the ichthus is meant to say. Some of you have seen those symbols that actually have those Greek letters in them. If you're, you know, more cultured than the rest of us, you've got the Greek letters in your symbol on the back of your car. 
Now, there are a lot of things that these could mean, and um, I do think it's interesting that it is the symbol of the fish, and this works so nicely when so many of the disciples were fishermen. I think that's very convenient. It's also convenient, though not related, that the only miracle, do you know what the only miracle that's in all four Gospels is? There's only one. You know which one it is? It's good. Hey, that was a good guess because we got a fish on the screen, right? It's a, yeah, well, oh, there's not now. Now there is. Yeah. Uh, the feeding of the 5,000 or the 12,000 or however deep you want to go in interpreting that, the loaves of bread and the fishes, the multiplication of the bread and fishes is the only miracle that's found in all four Gospels. Did you know that? I think it's interesting. It has nothing to do with Ichthus, but I thought it was interesting, so I'd tell you. It makes me look like I did my homework this week. Um, when we look at the Ichthus today, I hope none of you have this on your car because I don't, you know, but you may. If you do, that's fine. It's perfectly fine if you do. But this is how we see it today. And today, this doesn't make a whole lot of sense. It's a symbol for Christians. It's a symbol for following Jesus. Yes, but it's out of context of the reason in which it was used. And so then, uh, you know, back in the 70s, that's where this started coming back. And this is where we started putting them on different places. And uh, and then some people said, you know what, I'm kind of tired of seeing that message of the fish. I don't want to hear about Jesus on the back of your car. So they thought they would one up and came up with this next one, the Darwin fish. You know, it's got little legs on it because it crawled out of the ooze. It's got Darwin in it. So you know how we're going to get those Christians? We're going to take their symbol. All right. And so a bunch of those fish went around and then some Christian marketers said, you know what? Uh, Game on. (laughs) Now we're going to eat the Darwin fish. They're done. Truth. He's Darwin for lunch. Because don't, don't ever let a Christian marketer miss an opportunity to make a buck on a new symbol for the back of your car, right? I love how we so mature throughout the generations, right? We just we can't let a fight go. We got to be there. We got to be in the, in the middle of it. So when we talk about the way and what this looks like, let's, let, we'll bring this home here. We talk about what this looks like. Jesus does talk about the way. He talks about it in John chapter 14. And he says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. My Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I, I would have told you. Would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. You know the way to where I'm going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way. This is where they get the, the, the language for the way. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, which if we take that literally for what he's saying, first, he's saying, don't be worried about what's about to happen. And he was talking to them about the fact that he was about to be killed. He would say to you, no matter what's going on within your life or in the people that you love, don't be worried. Don't be troubled. Let your heart not be troubled. Because we find Jesus saying, Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the life. That makes no sense to someone unless you can also say, as Peter and John did, I cannot unsee the things that I have seen. 
You see, if someone forced you to come to church because you have to come to church and, and you know, when I was a kid, my parents forced me to go to church. I didn't want to go. I know you all all like to be here, and I'm thankful for that. You made your parents come, probably. <laughs> I didn't want to when I was a kid. Because I didn't understand this. I hadn't seen it yet. I hadn't seen Jesus yet. I hadn't experienced him yet. I didn't understand that Jesus is literally saying, there's only one way to get out of this life the way you were intended to live it, and that's through Christ. That's it. Period. No other way. Not Jesus and something else. It is only Jesus. That is it. The only truth that matters in all of this world is Jesus. That's the only truth that matters. Any other truth understood outside the context of Jesus doesn't matter and is not true. It is not real. Only when it's understood through the context of Jesus. Jesus is the truth. And ultimately, this is where the church is struggling today. Jesus is life. Church is struggling today because we're not sure that Jesus is life. Life is life. Fun is life. Entertainment is life. Jesus is a part of life. And he's who I'm hoping for to give me eternal life when I leave this place. But Jesus is saying, I am life. This moment, the last moment, the next moment, every moment, none of it is real life unless I'm there with you. Jesus is life. So I would take some leeway here and combine what he's saying in John chapter 14 with what we read back in Mark chapter 8. Say, so don't be troubled as we come back to the pick up your cross and deny yourself because that can be taken into some very bad places. Like if you're happy, you're not following Jesus. People literally take it there. If you're not miserable, then obviously you're not following Jesus. And I just don't read that anywhere in scripture. Picking up your cross was not meant to be the defining moment of your life. Denying yourself is not meant to be a defining moment in your life. It is a bridge to something more. It is not the point. Misery is not the point. Suffering is not the point. The point is experiencing Jesus so that like Peter and John can say, how can we deny what we have seen and heard? So don't be troubled about picking up your cross, denying yourself, or following him because that is the natural progression for which we take oh i've got to pick up my cross i've got to deny myself oh that sounds painful i'm not sure i want to do that he would say and from john chapter 14 you know what i am the way i am the truth i am the life don't be troubled about this there's way more that you're receiving than what it's going to cost you and that's thanks to what jesus did on the cross for us Don't be troubled because Jesus is preparing a place for you in his father's house. No matter how bad it gets. Don't be troubled because Jesus is the way to this place that he's created. And if you're experiencing him, you're on your way. I mean, that's a terrible way of using that, but that's true. You're on your way there. Don't be troubled because Jesus is coming back to get you and take you there. And this is what I would leave you with today. I just, we, had a, we've got, we have some great conversations on Wednesday night. We've got some guys that get together on Wednesday night. We read, we're reading a book, but sometimes our conversation goes in different places. We're just 
we were having some great conversations. One of the conversations we had on Wednesday is what does it look like to suffer today? You know, we look back at the disciples and yeah, we can see, we look at people like in Sri Lanka or Nigeria or Syria or places like that. And we say, yeah, I see where suffering is, but how do we suffer here today when we don't worry about any of that stuff? And it was, um, it's a good conversation to have. And it's a good conversation. Some of your small groups to have this week, just about, you know, how, how do we understand suffering and how do we understand this? Uh, it, it troubles me that I don't suffer a lot. Not because I want to suffer. It troubles me because when true suffering comes, I'm not sure how I'll handle it. The birds are getting on this again. Man, this is good stuff. I hope you all are taking notes. The birds are your clue, your cue this morning. But, um, you know, what, what if people were bombing our churches? Would anybody come to them? You know, what if the government did go to war with us? Would we still assemble and believe? You know, what if we did have to experience really picking up our cross and denying ourselves? Would we be in this? Oh, I'd like to be able to say, you better believe it. You know, I hope so. Um, I don't know. Until that day comes, I I may not know. But I know I've experienced Jesus. I know what I'm experiencing with him, and I want to be a part of that. I know I'm concerned for the church around us. And I know that doesn't fall on my shoulders as if I'm concerned, like, I've got to do anything about it. Like, I've got to fix it. That's not my job. I don't, I'm not smart enough to do that. But I am concerned with where we are. Our definition of suffering is so small. So small. I don't suffer. I worry. I get sick. Bad things happen. I, I get sad. I don't suffer. But people literally around the world do for this. Here's what I would leave you with this whole conversation. I would ask you, what have you seen? What have you heard? Because I know this to be true. Once you see, you can't unsee. What have you seen? What have you heard? Our conversation on Wednesday night, we're going to continue with this Wednesday because we were all like, we don't know. <laughs> we don't know really know how to define that or answer that question. But we kind of came to a place of sacrifice. How do we sacrifice for others? How do we put ourselves in the line of fire for others? How do we see those who are oppressed and those who are belittled and those who are pushed to the fringe? How do we go and help them and rescue them? How do we take from our financial gains and how do we give those away for others that that need them rather than just soaking it all in for ourselves? I think those are all examples of sacrifice. Suffering can be, can be. I don't, I don't know, but I do think this is a question that you and I need to answer because this is clearly what Jesus called us to. How do we understand that into this in this world today?
And for this symbol of the ichthus, let it remind us that there is a way of following Jesus. And let us be on that way. As you go through and look at the symbols, the symbols are so important and uh, so meaningful. Um, But let us not forget that it's not just about what Jesus did. It's about us following him now. See, when we come together in this place, that's the point of us coming together in this place. It's first encourage and help each other. You had a rough week. You need somebody to encourage you. You've been out sacrificing and serving and suffering. And, and, and I don't want to, I, I, it is really not fair for me to say we don't suffer. There, there is suffering that happens in our community. There's suffering that happens in our lives. I, I'm, I'm really talking too broad a picture there. Because yet there is suffering that we go through. But there are others that need us. And they need our help. When we come together for the church, gosh, this is, this is one of the least important moments of that. And yet it becomes the most significant moment, or it feels like it's supposed to be. But it's supposed to be us loving one another. It's supposed to be us hearing what's going on in each other's lives. It's supposed to be, how can I help you? What has what your week been like that I can come and support you? You know, because sometimes suffering and following Jesus, it, it's, it can still be painful. You know, you go to work and your boss says, listen, I want you to fudge the invoices because we can get a little extra and they won't notice it. And they'll write us an extra check. And you say no. And you get fired because they want somebody who will fudge the invoices. That's suffering because now you're out of a job and you've done it because you believe there's a way of living life better than the way the world does it. And you've lost your life and you've lost your income. That is suffering. That is picking up your cross and following him. You know, you go to school and your best friend wants you to cheat. I didn't study. Would you give me the answers? And you want to do it because they're your best friend. And you say, no, I can't do it. You should have studied. And now all of a sudden, they're not your friend anymore. That is picking up your cross to some degree and denying yourself. Because now you've, you're hurting because you've lost a friendship. Because you did what you felt was right. And they've walked away because you see the world differently. That is picking up your cross and denying yourself and following him. I think of the spouse who's... Their spouse is walking out on them, and yet they want them to ask for a divorce. And you say, no, I'm not going to give you a divorce. You can go and file it yourself, but I'm going to be here praying and hoping until that time. That is, can be a living hell. And yet they're trying to follow a different way. That is suffering. That is picking up your cross and following Jesus. You know, you guys who are dating are dating in the most over-sexualized culture in our history. Everything is sexualized. Everything is. We don't even realize the implications of the movies we watch and the shows we watch. And listen, I, I just can't listen to another celebrity talk about sexual assault when they're making movies about raping people. I, I can't do it. 
And you go out and you say that to the people you work with and do life with and find out how many of them still want to eat lunch with you at the lunch table. And that doesn't feel like love, does it? But that is picking up your cross and following Him. You know, when you're at work and when your buddy says, look at this joke, look at this video that's inappropriate, and you say, no, I won't do it. And now you're that guy or that girl at work. That is picking up your cross and denying yourself and following Him. And it doesn't feel good. And I don't know why anyone would choose that path. Unless you have seen or heard something that you can't deny. Once we have seen, we can't unsee. And whatever some of you are likely going through some of these experiences right now. And I just encourage you that Jesus is real. He did die on a cross. He did walk out of the tomb. The Holy Spirit does still come and embed into our lives. He did go to prepare a place for us. He is coming back to get us. He is going to bring us to the place where He is so that we can be with Him. This world, it is going to pass away. There is a new heaven and a new earth. It is coming. Everything Jesus said is true. It is happening. Every promise is real, including the coming judgment. Let us leave this place. If you haven't seen or heard something so significant that you're willing to endure suffering, let me encourage you. Jesus is still showing himself to us. He wants you to see that. He wants you to live that. It's not just about what comes later. It's about what comes right now. The kingdom is coming in power now. It is here. Let us live in that. Father, God, I thank you for the testimonies in this room. And I do know it's... There are those in this room making decisions and making stands against the ways of the world. And and it's costing them. It's costing them relationships, friendships. It's costing them to feel pain and loss. God, I know of no reason to go through that except that I know that you are real and I've experienced that. I pray for those in this room and their experience with you has been based just upon being a part of a church and not about experiencing you personally. And God, I just pray that they would, that we would. God, I do thank you that I don't have to worry about teaching my kids how to how to endure persecution the way some parents are teaching their kids around the world. I thank you that we don't have to do that here. But at the same time, I... I just pray that we would experience the fullness of a devoted heart to you without it. And I know that is that's hard. You told us we have to count the cost. Not to get started in something we're not wanting to finish. 
I do think that we are beginning to experience within this culture, this, this time, the church is beginning to understand what it means to experience loss. And so, God, I pray that in this moment we would not turn to just trying harder or what's just the next big thing, but, Father, it would be that we want to see and we want to hear you so that when we leave this place, we can't help but tell people what we've seen and heard. So, God, I pray that you would descend upon us and work with through just among us. Pray for those in this room that are lonely right now, and they just would love for someone to come up and talk to them. I pray for that person who thinks they have no purpose in this room, and yet that is the very person that's supposed to go talk with this, this one that just needs a relationship. I pray for our sense of organization and that we feel that you will only move in the way that we've organized as a church. And I pray that you would break us from that so that we would experience your movement no matter how we function as a church. That we would function according to your work and your power, not according to our strategies. Father, I pray that as we leave this place that we will be a presence within the world. The true gift of Christ that has come. Help us to follow the way of Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.